from Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Read Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because your goodness to me. Thank you so much, Donna. It takes a lot of guts to get up on stage and talk before people. And it's so good that uh, others are doing it. And just so you know, we might come knocking on your door saying, hey, come share scripture, because just so you know, um, what we do here is not just for, quote unquote, the staff professionals, but we're a body, right? We're a church, we're in it together. If you got a Bible, you can turn to 142, Psalms 142, that's our scripture for today. We're in a new series uh, called Summer Playlist, and we're looking at different psalms throughout the summer. Last week, if you uh, were here, or you watched online, we, we read together and looked at Psalms 30, uh, a psalm of David, and how praise has a way of bringing joy out of despair. Well, today we're kind of flipping the coin a little bit. We're going to look at the other side of that. Psalms 142 kind of leads us there um, and talk a little bit about what it means when you, when you don't have that joy and when you're just in the despair. So let's bow our heads, let's pray, and let's invite God to speak to us. Holy Spirit of God, thank you that we can worship this morning. Thank you that you're in our midst And thank you that we can read your word freely. And as I share today, give me the words to speak and speak through every heart. Speak to every heart, I pray, and every soul and every spirit. Lord, remind us that you are there for us. Remind us that you are with us even in the darkest times. Lord, we bless you and we love you and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I remember when I was a teenager, there were certain songs that I would listen to that had like a, like a level of angst to them, you know, like just like, just like kind of sadness to them. I don't know if you're, you're one of those people, but there was times where I just, I had to pop in these songs because just of how they spoke of anger and frustration and despair and sadness really did something in me, you know, and it almost always it came from that genre of music That way, way, way back in the day, if you were from way, way back in the day in church, was was considered ungodly. Remember that? Remember when the the, some of you, maybe maybe few of you, remember when the electric guitar was considered Satan's instrument? That what that happened in church. That was a little bit before my time. Some of you are like, I remember that. Thankfully, we grew past that. Right? We learned that that genre you know, isn't ascribed to ungodly or godly, but all good things that God gives, people can use and twist. And, and that was mainly because, just, just so you know, if you're like, what, what's going on? Uh, there, was a, there was a time, and there still is, where, 
where people took those genres, they took styles of music, and they, they used it to promote or speak about ungodliness. And so in an effort to, to detach the, ourselves from that, the church kind of swung the pendulum to the extreme. You know, that was back when you couldn't go to movie theaters because if Jesus came back while you were in the movie theater, you ain't going back, right? <laughs> but, but we're past that. But I remember listening to these songs and, and having them on repeat, especially in these certain times in my life because they resonated with what I was going through. And I don't know if you're with me that sometimes someone was just singing about something and it spoke to me. They're singing about a sadness or a hardship in their life and, and it just spoke to me, and it was a sort of lament. They were lamenting through, through the song, and I felt that. I felt that because of the season of life I, went, I was in. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about a lament. A lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. You've probably heard the term before. We don't really use it in our everyday life anymore. But, but it's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow, and somewhere in the evangelical, charismatic church, in an effort to to be life giving and joy filled, and and have excitement and passion in a service, we've forgotten what it means, or we 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 push aside what it means to lament in church. We don't make room for that anymore. To be okay with with sadness, you know. Sometimes it's okay as a church to say we're not okay. Like sometimes it's okay to say that we're, we're not okay. In some ways, though, that became taboo because in church, excitement and life is attractive. Imagine your first time at a church, you go to this church and they're singing songs that are, that are sad. They're songs of lament. You might walk away going, man, that, was, that church is depressing. But we need to make space for that. We need to make room for that place to lament. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And Psalms 142 is just that that Donna read for us. It's David lamenting. So just to, to kind of bring you up to speed, the Psalms are a collection of 150 uh, different Hebrew poems, prayers, and songs that are from different periods throughout Israel's history. They were sung by Israel's choir in the tabernacle and temple. And somewhere after the exile, so after Babylon came in and conquered Israel and brought them into exile, these, these poems and these songs were collected into what we have today. And scattered throughout them are these poems and songs and prayers of lament. They're classified by their focus on expressing deep sorrow for suffering and pain and despair and asking for God's blessing and intervention. You know, for all of our, our, our hope talk in church, there is a place for sorrow. And the Psalms shows us that. In fact, there's a book of the Bible, you might, you might remember it, hopefully you know it, is Lamentations. It's a whole book given to lament, poems of lament. And that was written, you know, out, coming out of the exile. So let me, let me bring you up to speed in case you're wondering what I mean by that. So God had promised his people, the Israel, a land called the promised land. Remember, he leads them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into the promised land. This was their land. And it was supposed to be led for them, and God would give them kings to lead them, and he would be at the helm. And 500 years 
in their history through rebellion and disobedience, another nation, the Babylonian nation, came in and conquered Israel and conquered the city of Jerusalem and brought the people into exile. And so everything that they had been promised seemed to basically vanish. And so this book of Lament, Lamentations, is kind of like a memorial to the pain and confusion of, of what they were experiencing in this, in this time. So when you look at this, I say this all to say, when you look at the Bible, you look at the book of Lamentations, and you look at the Psalms, um, there are places that allow for expression of grief. In the Lord, we have a place to express our pain and to express our protest, and to draw attention to the horrible things, and to process emotion, and to voice confusion. Bible scholar Tim Mackey, he said this. He said, these poems of lament store, uh, restore a sacred dignity to human suffering. So here's what this all means. Let me all bring this back. Here's what this all means, okay? When you're in a spot of despair, it's okay to say to God, I'm not okay. And you don't need to hide behind pseudo-happiness. And you don't need to mask it. And you don't need to pretend that everything is okay. When did we decide as a faith community that that was a thing? When did we decide as a people of God that that was a thing we were going to do? We're all going to hide behind our masks of okay. You know, we all go to church. We, we fellowship. We gather with other people. How are you doing? Good. When inside you look, I'm not good. How's everything going? Okay. And you know when someone says okay, you know that means like it's, it's terrible, right? Because there's, there's only two options to respond to when someone asks you how you're doing. There's good and there's okay. When did we decide that was a thing to hide? Do you know the first mention of hiding in the scripture is from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they're hiding from God to hide their shame and their wrong and their sin, But in the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God, there's a space for us to bear it all out. And I think we need to remember that. And I think we need to come back to that. And I recognize that what I'm about to talk about and all this stuff is kind of solemn and serious. And it's not like exciting and and woo, we're going to leave and go, ah! And it's not one of those. But it can't always be that because that's not life. Right? We need to understand that God wants us to come before him and say, hey, because he knows, right? He knows, so why pretend? The very presence of these songs and poems and prayers in the scripture is showing us that God wants us to express our deep sadness to him. He wants that. That's in the inspired holy word of God, the authoritative word of God, lament, expressing grief and pain. You can do that, and it's okay. So Psalms 142 is that. It's it's David. Um, David uh, often expressed pain and sorrow and despair. What made David a man after God's own heart was not that he was perfect, if you know the story of David. It's that he knew how to search after God. Psalms 142, it's a prayer of David. This is something that uh, David brought before the Lord when he found himself in those like deep wells, those deep, deep wells. And I just want to give you a little bit of history for for context for the, the passage. So the first king of Israel was a man named Saul, and uh, Saul had failed God. And this is going back around uh, 1000 BC, 
1100 BC, where that's the context. And Saul had failed God, and so God had sought after the kind of king he wanted on the throne, and that was David. And so he found David. David was around 15 years old when, when a prophet named Samuel came, came in and anointed David to be the next king. But he wouldn't become king right away. It was kind of just like a promise. And when God stirs something up in your heart, and, he, and he, he tells you something of the future, like this is, and you kind of get excited about that, and you're like, I don't know when that's going to come to fruition. It's not necessarily right away. This was David. You're going to be the next king of Israel, and he was like, you know, a teenager, he doesn't become king right away, but somewhere after um, he defeated Goliath, most of us know the story of David and Goliath. David conquers Goliath, and even though the army was trembling, David found himself after that moment in Saul's army. And whenever Saul sent David out to fight, David was beyond successful. He had so much success that everybody, the nation, began to love David, and they began to cheer for David, and this stirred up jealousy in Saul. Because they would boost David a little bit higher than Saul. And so Saul got, got jealous and he be, became uh, or had hatred towards David and even feared David. In fact, the scriptures say, say that he began, began to be afraid of David because God was with David and God had left Saul. And so what happened is Saul sought actually to kill David. That's what happens when you allow jealousy to muster as it, and hatred to muster as it can grow into something extreme. And so for Saul, it had grown to this point where he sought to kill David. And on a number of occasions, he tried to do that. He tried to throw a spear at him. He got his attendants to, to seek after him and kill him. And so David found himself on the run. He's a fugitive on the run. And he escapes to this cave, a cave called the Cave of Adullam. And most scholars say that it was in this cave when David was on the run when he wrote this, this psalm, this prayer. And if you look in your Bible, if you have a Bible with you, I'm not sure if it's, it'll be on the app, but on the Bible there's actually a little title at the top that says a mascal of David when he was in the cave. So most scholars are suggesting that that cave is, is referring to the cave of Adullam, which was a, a stronghold in the Old Testament that means hiding place. But David isn't hiding from God. He's not hiding his despair from God. He's hiding from man. He's on the run. Now, right in that title, that word masculine there, as you see that, um, that's a Hebrew word that you'll see sometimes, and it usually means contemplation. But a lot of scholars are suggesting that a better interpretation for that would be insight or instruction. And so this is a psalm of instruction. So we can learn something here from how David prayed. We can, we can learn something, and David wants to teach that. So as he probably prayed this, he finds himself in the cave, and in desperation, he's praying this, and maybe he wrote it down later, and he passed it off to the, the leader of the choir and said, we need to sing this because we need to learn what it means to seek after God in these moments. And so that's what we can do is we can learn something uh, from David on how he prayed. We can learn how to talk to God and to cry out to God in moments of desperation. Now, in this psalm, there's actually two threads going through it. The first thread is this uh, overwhelming feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. Have you ever been there? You just don't see any light. You know, people are like, it's okay. And you're like, I don't see any okay. And that's, that's the main thread going through this. But the second thread is, is David setting his helpless soul on God. So he's not seeing the light. He's not seeing the hope. But he's choosing to set the helpless state and the hopeless state on, on God. And you'll see that throughout this, um, this, this passage. So he's desperate. 
He's being hunted, he's being persecuted, he's been by, dismissed by many, and he, he finds himself alone. And this is just before there would be people who would gather around him. If, if he could look ahead like we can, we could look ahead in the story, you know, hundreds of, of men would come alongside him, and they'd be, they'd be the mighty men of valor, and he'd have like a force, and a small army essentially that would, that would support him and gather around him, but this is not yet. And I, I don't know if you've been there where you find yourself, even though you have people, you have support around you, but you just feel alone. Like, you feel like you got nobody. Well, that's what, what David is feeling. He, and he says this, he says in verse one, he says, I cry aloud. So he could be silent. He could be meditative. He could direct his thoughts on God. But for whatever reason, that's not gonna soothe the pain. So he makes some noise. He gets, he gets vocal in his cry. There's a groaning and there's a yearning for God's intervention. You know, we're called to make a joyful noise, but sometimes we can make a noise-filled cry as well. Like sometimes we forget that as adults, for all the adults in the room. Kids still remember this, but somewhere when we mature, we, we learn that I need to suck it all in. And I can't, I, the tear starts to come down and you're trying to squeeze it back up. Remember those cartoons where they'd squeeze the tear back up because they didn't, that's what we do. But that's not David. He's crying aloud. And so he's crying out loud and he draws our attention to who he's crying to. The point is not he's crying aloud, it's who he's crying to. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord, I lift my voice up to the Lord. One commentator said this, this was more than David's appeal for help, it was a declaration of allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel. David is declaring who it is he turns to in times like this. Because who you turn to when you're in desperation and what you turn to when you're in desperation often reveals what you worship. And that's the, that, that's the truth, right? Like, think about that for a second. Your theology, your, your belief about God, your thinking about God is proved by actions, not words. Right? Words are frivolous. We can say things all the time, but actions prove character. And usually when you find yourself in a desperate situation when emotions are hot, that's when your true character is revealed. And what you turn to in those moments reveals what's in the foremost front of your mind. David is saying, I turn to the Lord, not other things to bring the comfort and to bring the peace. And this is not to say that, that material things can't bring comfort, right? Because God gave us material things for comfort. He gave us life to enjoy. He gave us the raw material to build with and to enjoy. Not to say we can't have those things, but if indulging my flesh you know, whatever that looks like for me, food, drink, people becomes our go-to, our first and foremost, our numbing agent when we're in moments of despair, then maybe we've misplaced allegiances. And I recognize that in the pain of it, sometimes all we want is like a big bar of chocolate, <laughs> right? I get that. I get, I get that because I get like that. Just need some, I just need whatever. You fill in the blank for you. But the problem with that is then the drink becomes the provider. I'm not saying you can't have a drink. Food becomes our comforter. Food was given for us to survive, right? We need to eat food. It's not wrong, but it's in the wrong position. People become our source. And we know throughout the scripture that we're a community. We're meant to have people. And people can sympathize and they can even empathize with us 
but they're not our source. So David is saying, I cry out to God, not Ben and Jerry's ice cream, not Bud Light. Pick your, pick your thing, fill in the blank. Could be anything, literally anything. He says, my relief and my refuge is in God, not Facebook, mindless scrolling for hours to escape and numb, not binge-watching Netflix, and I get it, because once you watch one episode, there's like an addictive thing in Facebook. You watch one episode, and you just, it's like, you know, it goes to play the next one for you. Like, they're, they're setting you up for failure, right? You don't even have to, you don't even have to move. It just automatically starts. Talk about convenient. My relief is in the Lord. And not to say that any of those things, some things could be wrong. Your numbing agent could be wrong, but not to say those things are wrong in themselves. But when they take the place of God, then they become wrong. And David is saying that in a culture that serves many gods, he's in a culture that serves many gods, he's, he's saying, I turn to the most high, I turn to the one who is above them all, I turn to the one who has ultimate power and can provide true comfort. And we do live in a culture that serves many gods. They just don't look the same as they did 3,000 years ago. They have different titles and different names, and that's a story and a sermon for another day. But David is instructing us here who we should be lamenting to, who should be our first source. And then he says this, and I love this part. He says, I pour it out before him, my complaint. I pour out before him, my complaint. Because if you're going to complain, complain to the one who is above it all. And God knows. Just in case you don't know, God knows. If, but by very definition, he should know. He's God. He knows it all. And so what that tells me is he already knows what I'm going through. He already knows what I'm facing. So I can let him have it. Even though he'll probably let me have it maybe. But he can handle it. He can take it. Like don't try to, don't try to hide it and then just say this nice little eloquent prayer because this is what we do. I'm, like, he's a good father. Go to him. Like sometimes my kids, I'm learning a lot about the father through my kids my kids don't come to me when they're like in a desperate moment, very prim and proper. They show me their emotion. And the funny thing is, even when they try to hide their emotion, I see it on them. I know it's there. God knows your pain. He knows the desperation. He knows the circumstance. He knows the lack. He knows the need. So you can turn to him. David poured out before him his complaint. This is David, King David. This is the one who, who was known as a man after God's own heart. This is the one who Jesus would be called the son of David. And if David could pour out his complaint, we can. We can. And I like that term, pour out, right? Because this is not just a piece. It's not just a portion. It's not just a slice of it. He's emptying himself. He's handing it all over. It's not just this quick little prayer. After I've worried for six hours, I'm going to say a quick little prayer and then continue on my day. I'm going to Google the rest of the whatever to get out of this. How do I get myself out of this problem? You know, 10 steps to make life whole again. Like he's, he's, he's emptying it all out before God. He's putting it all on God's table and then he's walking away. That's what he's doing. Apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Isn't that good? Like, imagine the scripture said, cast some of it on him because he likes you a little. 
God's like, oh, that's a little too much right now. I don't even like you that much. Like, that's what your friends would be like. That's what your closest confidant would be like. Eventually, they'd hit a limit, and they can't bear it any longer because they're human. But God cares for you, and so the Bible tells us we can cast it all. It's this idea of throwing it all, not just placing it. I'm, I'm giving it all. I'm pouring it all, all out. The God of all things, the infinite one, he cares for you. He knows what you're going through. Just so you know, your crux doesn't give a rip about your life. Your numbing agent, your food, your drink, your people, whatever it is for you, does not care about you. Even the people, there's a limit. God, he cares. And so we can pour it all out. And I don't know about you, I was thinking about this. I'm like, man, sometimes I find myself in those situations and I don't even have anything else to pour out. I'm like so beat up by the circumstance. And I say circumstance or situation because I want it to be like a, like a general term that could fit everything. Like I'm so beat up by this thing that I'm processing or going through, relational, financial, work, life, family, whatever. You fill in the blank of whatever it is. I'm so beat up by this. I can't even, I can't even talk right now to God. I can't, ex- I can't express words. I can't be vocal like David. How am I supposed to pour it out? How am I supposed to cast all the cares? And there's a, there's a place for this. Because in Romans, it tells us, Paul is saying this to the church in Rome. He says, the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. So for those of you who are followers of Jesus, the Bible says that the spirit of God is dwelling inside you. It says the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, scholars suggest this can mean a couple things. One of them I really like, and it's when I got nothing to give. I can't say the word. Thankfully, God knows literally everything. And he knows me inside and out. He knows my thoughts and he knows my heart. That even if I just direct the tear in his direction, the spirit in me intercedes on my behalf. It's kind of like you're on a battlefield and you can't make it and you can't keep fighting. And, this, you know, here comes the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's okay, I got you. We're coming. He's bleeding. He's bleeding. Help, help. The Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. So when you get nothing, you got nothing else to give, but you just direct your attention to God in that moment. It's like sometimes my kids, they, they play outside a lot and they come inside and something's happened. They've hurt themselves. You know, someone said something, someone did something, whatever. It could be anything. And they're crying and they can't even get the words out. And I'm like, but what are they doing? They're directing it to someone that they believe can do something about it. And in that moment, what can we do as parents? Well, we can hug them. We, you know, we can slow down so I can hear what you're saying. But they're finding comfort. You can direct that to God. Sometimes I can't, Pastor. Yeah, I know. But just direct your sometimes I can't to him. Remember the old hymn that we used to sing back in the day? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm not even going to sing it because I don't even know if I know the turn, tune probably. I'm going to pull it last week. But I wrote down this one verse in that hymn, because it's, I'll, I'll read the chorus. Chorus says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But I really like this verse, because here's what it says. It says, oh soul, are you weary and troubled? Some of you have the tune in your head. I don't, but you do. No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. See, the Spirit helps us. 
when we turn our attention to Jesus. And so David brings this complaint before God, and, and that word complaint is kind of like a coarse case. He's presenting his case before God. And he says, I'm, my spirit is faint. People have hidden a snare for me. There's no one at my right hand. There's nobody fighting with There's no one alongside me. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. He's broken. Nobody cares about me, God. Like this, I imagine him. He's being vocal. He's making noise, cry. I got nobody on my right side. And you got to put it in the context of him fleeing. Like he's in a cave running for his life. The guy that's supposed to be his king has thrown spears at him and sent people to kill him. This is not just like a difficult circumstance. Literally, if someone finds him, his life will be over. And he's crying. He's like, God, I'm faint. I got nothing left. Nobody cares for me. I got no refuge. I got nobody by my side. One author said this. He said, we have companions in joy, but sorrow we have to face by ourselves. Isn't that true sometimes? Unfortunately, that author goes on to say, he said, unless we have Jesus with us in the darkness, we have no one. Because truly, the only person that's truly with you when you're going through those moments, even if you feel great support, and thank God if you do, it's Christ. So he's bringing this case before God, not because God doesn't know. It's not, like, it's not like he's informing God because God doesn't know. It's not like he's like, hello, you're anointed one here. Remember the next king? Uh, I'm gonna die, and then your anointed plan ain't gonna happen. Like, he's not doing that. He's, he's, he's going to God for his own relief, not to tell God something God doesn't know. He's going to God for his own comfort. It's a self-reminder of who is with him when he feels alone. Psalms 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Philippians chapter four, verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. There is space for us to bear it all out. He longs for it, God. He's a good father, and he already knows, but he's there to comfort. The Holy Spirit was called what? A comforter. He already knows that you can find comfort. You know, sometimes I sit in my window and I watch my kids, and they're getting into a disagreement with some other kids on the block, or one of them is running and trips and falls. I've seen the event happen. And they're, you know, they might run towards the home. I already know. I know what's going to happen when they come through the door. Whether they come through the door or not, they think they're telling me, but I already know I'm there to comfort. And that's the Father. He's saying, come to me, I got some comfort. I got some comfort. So David pours out his complaint, and then he says, he says this, I cry to you, Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of living. It's almost like he's telling himself, I cry to you, God, and I say, you are, like he's, he's giving himself a pep talk. You are my refuge. Just a second ago, he said, I got no refuge. He says, I have no refuge. Now he's pep talking himself. He's telling himself, but you are my refuge. I got no refuge, but you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. So in the Old Testament, there were these cities called a city of refuge. And they were a place of protection. And an Israelite person, you know, on special circumstances, could run to this city and find protection. 
So that's what they would do. You know, you and me, we have, we have places and we have people that we consider our refuge. This might be a family, this might be a spouse, this might be a certain place, but we go to these places because we feel protected, we feel, we feel comfort, we feel release in these spaces, you know, people, places. Well, David is saying that he's found something that's higher. He found his refuge not in a place or a particular circumstance because that is all gone for him. His, his portion, his physical blessing from God appears to be lost, right? He was supposed to be the next king, but by what he's seen, ain't going to happen because he's running for his life. So he doesn't have his city of refuge anymore. He can't go to the city of refuge because knowing Saul, he'd probably chase after him anyway. But he's saying to himself, my city of refuge, my places that I would go to for protection, they're all gone. You are my refuge and you are my portion. And keep in mind that he's helpless and he's hopeless, but he's setting his helpless soul on God. And we need to do that. Instead of just welling in the deep well of despair, is set the deep well of despair on the direction of the Lord. Turn your attention to him. You may feel helpless and hopeless and you don't see any light. Well, bring that and look towards God. Because he can be the light for you when you can't see the light. It's like when you're walking in the dark and you're stumbling, what do you do? You look for the light switch. God is the light switch. I can't see. You can keep wandering and searching for light or give up or you can go to where you believe the light switch is, right? We all kind of know the patterns of our rooms, right? We know where the, you hit the wall a few times until you flick it on. I say all that because a couple weeks ago my, my kids were watching the the children's lesson online, and it was talking about how the word is a light switch. God is like that. He turns on, he offers light in those moments. So David had reason to believe that he had no portion, no inheritance, but he says to God, you are my refuge and my portion. Now, why don't you come back up here? And so he lifts up his voice to God. He brings his case before God. He pours it all out. He declares who God is, and then he pleads in sorrow and desperation. He says, set me free from my prison. Rescue me from those who pursue me. And I want to encourage us all today that we can do the same. I want to remind you we can do the same. And that's what laments are for. Laments remind us that Jesus alone is our Savior and our refuge. That when we have nothing left, we have Jesus in Christ. If we are followers of Christ, we have him. We have the Spirit of God. We can go to him with our questions and our doubts, and our concerns, and the cries of our heart, because he is there for us, and there is no one like him. We can come to him, because he rules and reigns over all things, and he alone has the power to rescue, and to redeem, and restore, and we are called his children in Jesus. He loves us with a perfect love, and he knows all that we need. Jesus alone is the answer to every heart's cry. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus came to redeem and rescue us from the greatest fear and our greatest desperation, and that was eternal death and separation from God. And because he redeemed us and rescued us from the greatest desperation point, we can go to him with those other desperation points. We can turn to him. Because of Jesus, we can do what Hebrews 4.16 says. It says, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Your translation may say, I can boldly approach the throne. So that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help us in our time of need. We all often don't talk about that part. We just say, we can boldly approach the throne in Jesus, but we forget about the other part. So we can find mercy and grace in our time of need. And when are we in most need? More often than not, when we are in moments of deep grief and deep sorrow and deep pain. And that's when we can boldly approach the throne and pour out our complaint and give it all to God and let him have it. He's got big shoulders. He's tough. He can handle it. And Jesus... So I want you to bow your heads all across the room. And if you're watching us online today, join us online. I want you to bow your heads as well. So I want to pray for us. If you're here today and you've, you find yourself in that place, in a, that place of desperation, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you'd find comfort. And I want to pray that you'd find peace. And I want to pray that you would find refuge in God. But I want you to with all the strength that you have, muster it up and just raise your hand and acknowledge that you need prayer. If you're in the room today, you can raise your hand. If you're online, you can raise your hand at home. It's just an acknowledgement. Holy God, you see every hand. Lord, you know every heart. You know those who are in those places but didn't muster the strength to raise their hand. But you saw the hands. You saw those who were in the cave and, and they're crying out. Lord, that's that acknowledgement. Lord, I pray in your name that you know the situation, you know the circumstance, that you would provide the peace of God, that you would provide the, the comfort, that you'd provide the care, that you, you'd give light. So even though we still walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will begin to fear no evil because you have set a table bef before us in the presence of our enemies. Lord, we would begin to have hope and joy because we find comfort. So you saw the hands, God. Send, send your ministering angels in the name of Jesus just to minister and to care for those in Jesus' name. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna do this. We haven't done this in a while. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never committed to the way of Christ, and maybe you've been listening for a while, watching us online, maybe you've been in the house and you've never made that decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. If that's you today, I want you to just raise your hand. You're, you're, you're choosing to follow Jesus. You're choosing to make him Lord of your life. In-house or online, nobody's looking around. And we're all gonna pray with you. We're gonna pray together. I want everyone to repeat a prayer after me. And if that's you today, you're like, I need to commit my life to Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit in me. I wanna follow his way. I wanna live for him. I wanna be Lord. I want you to mean this prayer as we pray together. Would everyone repeat this after me? Say, dear Lord, I give you my heart and I give you my life. Forgive my sin and send the Holy Spirit to live in me. I need you. Become Lord of my life. I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what the Bible talks about. I get excited about this, that if you really meant that, nobody saw that hand. I wasn't even looking today. If you're online, you may be alone. Nobody saw your hand, but God did. And the Bible says that there's more celebration in heaven, more celebration for the one that returns than the many. That's exciting. So here's the next step, though. If that was you in-house, or if you're online, there's a next step for you. I need you to go to our website, get a device, do this quickly. Go to our Connect tab. It's weareparkway.com slash connect. And fill out the Connect card. And there's a, little, there's a little box that says, today I made a decision to follow Jesus. The reason I want you to do that is because this is the first step and there's more steps after this. 
and I want to put a resource in your hand. I want to give you a resource to help you with your next steps in following Jesus and making this commitment. So if that's you, if you're in-house or you're online, you did that today, then I want you to uh, go um, to our website and, and, and do that as your next step. So here's a, here it is. There's a place in God and in the scripture for us to say, I'm not okay. And to let him know that. And to set our helpless and our hopeless soul on God. And I pray that all of us will be reminded of this because I don't know about you, but life has a way of kind of going through these seasons, right? You got these really good ones, you're like, man, this is good, and then, whoa, something happens. And then we need to be reminded that he's there for us and we can cast our cares on him. You with me? Good stuff. We're back again next week. We're giving away backpacks which is exciting. May God bless you this week and may you set your soul and your heart on him. God bless. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.